where does this where does this take us as human beings right because we're being coached away from the idea that this is a diversion right that this is this is an entertaining experience this is something that maybe it's it's a chat room in 3d and virtual reality right yeah this isn't that's that's not the end goal the end goal is something i think the end goal in in um, silicon valley's eyes is something that's a lot more grandiose than that Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. All right, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. I'm really excited about our subject today, and our guest, Chris Elliott Johnston, has been on the podcast before, and he's on with us again today. What's up, man? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you are able to come in and talk about this thrilling and exciting and um, basically apocalyptic subject of the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I verge on apocalyptic in terms of what it is and what it will be and what it can be and all that mm-hmm. stuff and and then i also vacillate and you'll see this when we kind of talk about this i, I vacillate between uh the ridiculous and the uh the skeptical just because i don't i don't know um how legitimate it is mm-hmm. for the future and yeah. so i'm glad you're here to discuss that with us because you've got a little bit of uh, a back background in this stuff at least just from working from for the tech industry and it might interest those who are watching to know that we do this in chattanooga and uh chattanooga although uh easily kind of missed on the map uh it is what a lot of people consider the silicon valley of the south it's got the fastest internet in the whole country right is that true yeah yeah yeah, um, or at least it used to be. I don't know if everyone else has 10 gig yet, but yeah, we're 10 yeah. gig to the house. It's pretty fast, yeah. Yeah, so we, we've been known for that really super fast internet. It's drawn a lot of some like tech entrepreneurs, and you're the sure. founder of a startup. Uh, so give just a little bit, just for those who maybe didn't see the past episode with you, um, just give a little bit of your uh, kind of your background in the tech world. Okay, sure. Um, I've worked in the tech, well, I would say tech industry, but for the most part, interactive design since the late 90s. Okay. Went to school originally for 3D, 3D animation. And then I went back and went and got second undergraduate in, in the social sciences and sociology predominantly. Um, and my, my interests have always kind of um, lied in sort of the intersection of sort of human engagement and technology, but I've worked in and out of um, interactive firms. I worked for the, the federal government. I've, mm-hmm. I've worked for um, large organizations. I've done a lot for big tech. Um, there, are, you, you could probably name some of the organizations I've worked for. Yeah. And, How many people have those organizations killed? Do you have a body count? <laughs> That's what you, just a I, I would tell you, but then yeah, we'd have <laughs> then to you have to kill me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, all right, don't yeah, tell yeah. me. Don't tell anybody else. That's listening. <laughs> Not as many as the government. That's for sure. One hundred percent. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, so you, you're you're deep in this stuff, and it seems uh, which by what you just said, which I did, I mean, I guess I could have figured that that's the the intersection with where you're at, um, but that's essentially what we're going to be talking about today, that that intersection between technology and human interaction. So uh, so we're going to be talking about the metaverse. And uh, so I was going to speak on this. Actually, one of the reasons why it's I'm glad that we're having this conversation is because my background is in more immersive, interactive technology. And so I've actually built and led teams that have built virtual reality experiences. Hmm. So uh, that plays into this notion of the, of the metaverse, especially as you as you marry that to the internet in particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so let's start here because <clears throat> I, there's a there's so many things I want to talk to you about yeah. uh, because this is such an engrossing topic. It's so interesting. It's so like cutting edge and new and 
Facebook has pretty much staked their whole future on uh, on the metaverse, changing their whole name to Meta now. Um, and 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 I assume that they've done this. And maybe you've got some insight on this too. I assume they've done this because they felt like the pandemic kind of drove everybody home, and they felt like this is the time to pull the trigger mm-hmm. on kind of this alternate reality, people working from home, because mm-hmm. the metaverse can be this thing that kind of uh, replicates the world, as it were, and mm-hmm. then you can operate virtually and um, and interact with the real world from a virtual standpoint. And so we're kind of already doing that with uh, with what took place with people being sent home with COVID and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, to, a, to a limited degree. So they've kind of just pulled the trigger and full on sold, it, sold out it to producing the metaverse and that technology and kind of furthering that. So um, I know this is a bit of a kind of just like a broad question, but before we dig into some of the the, the really juicy stuff that I want to talk about, let's just talk about what the metaverse is. So okay. Okay. from your perspective, kind of can you give us a working definition of what the metaverse is for somebody who has heard the name or maybe never even heard the name and, yeah. but has no idea what it is? So uh, the one thing I want to do start, I'd start with actually is taking away the qualifier, the metaverse, right? Okay. It's, it's more of a metaverse. Okay. Um, what what Meta is trying to create, Meta or Facebook, formerly Facebook, is trying to create is sort of a branded version of a metaverse experience. So the metaverse as a concept has been around for quite a, quite a while, and it's actually kind of come, come about in several different forms. Effectively, what it means is it means it's sort of a 3D or immersive online world that sort of describes um, an interactive system. So... Okay. Um, you uh, like for one, one that's been around for quite a while. That's actually still popular is Second Life. If you've heard of Second mm-hmm. Life before, so Second Li- Second Life is one that 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 people consider a metaverse, and that that one it has lots and lots of users and people are engaged with is it. Is that still going on? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, still popular. So uh, it's popular with a very specific subset, but you know. I think that, you know, there's tons of things out there are popular subsets at this point. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, we're living in a niche world for sure. So what met, what the metaverse, if we, we're talking about the metaverse, um, I, I, we, I just want to make sure they're qualifying. That's sort of Mark Zuckerberg's vision of, you know, and, and there are going to be other ones that are going to pop up. And, you know, I'd mm-hmm. imagine there's going to be competing metaverses that are going to pop up as soon as kind of they get theirs. But he's trying to kind of stand up this 3D world based on their their really extensive Oculus infrastructure, okay. trying to stand up this 3D world that will allow users to engage with content in an immersive system. And uh, and so that that's kind of what the metaverse is, you okay. know, if, if we're kind of the throw the the in front of it. Okay, yeah. and then so where does, what is that like, I guess the sky's the limit, but what does that span the gamut of in terms of like what this alternate reality or virtual reality looks like? So uh, does it look like, a place where you can go to work every day and you go in as like an avatar and you just sit in your home in your pajamas and you you're, you send your avatar to work and you actually do that work, but you're doing it as this avatar, whatever that is. Sure, sure, sure. Um, or, or is it just kind of, should we think about it in terms of like just simply gaming? Because that seems to be where mm-hmm. it initially kind of, kind of starts and really gets developed. But should how broad should we think about what a, a metaverse looks like? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I think it really depends on what people want to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's vision is that it will be that to some degree, right? Yeah. He's thinking of, he's thinking of it as some sort of um, almost like an egalitarian 
and I, I actually will put the term utopian in there as well, sort of uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk uh, about this. Yeah, playground for creators and sort of uh, a new wave of people they are going to be expressing themselves through and expressing their individuality through digital means, right? And so that means, that means living effectively in a lot of ways on, on these structures, you know. Um, and, and so, and but I guess my real question is: Should we think Ready Player One when we're talking I, about metaverse? I, th- I think a lot of people would like it to be Ready Player One. Yeah, you know, I think, and it, kind of going back to your previous point about where what we've been conditioned to experience. I think that a lot of us have been conditioned to experience this sort of like we are living in these sort of isolated cells at yeah. this point, you know. And so there is a desire to connect. You know, there's a desire to connect, and so we try to connect in this way, but. Um, as Sherry Turkle has written this great book called uh, Alone Together, and there's she talks about this 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 um, this concept of alone togetherness, and I think that we're going to be experiencing a lot of that. She mm-hmm. the first sort of um, vignette she paints with this is that she's she's at this sort of uh, tech symposium and she's sitting in this room full of people listening to a lecture, half-heartedly listening to a lecture, and they're all t- typing on their laptops or typing on their phones. And she re- she realized, you know, we're together, but we're all completely alone yeah. at the same time. And I think that that's, uh, I think that really kind of f- feeds into like where we're going with this. I think people are trying to kind of get this on them sort of simulated togetherness, but it feels very alone. So. Yeah, that reminds me of a book. I didn't read it, but I've, I'm familiar with the concepts of it called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. Mm-hmm. And it's sure, essentially yeah. just like how things like social media has um, driven a wedge between us. But I think his ultimate idea is that that wedge is ultimately going to make people desire real authentic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I still wonder about that, man, because I'm, I think, I almost wonder if that book is obsolete now because I think we're almost seeing in real time the opposite of that. I yeah. think there's some aspect of that, like, right, that when we when we don't have authentic community relationships and stuff like that and we move to this kind of virtual world, that there is this hunger but technology is moving so fast that it seems to just like absolutely be satiating that hunger. And then this is where we install dystopian ideas of the future, like uh, Brave New World and Aldous Huxley and stuff, where his whole idea is that you don't even have to have a totalitarian government shoving the rules down your throat and forcing you to do them. If you give people enough, um, uh, if you give people enough distractions, they'll gladly take their subjugation if it's pleasurable enough to them. And that's what Brave New World's all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you familiar with the experience, uh, the experience machine, Robert Nozick's experience machine? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? So he's a philosopher, twentieth uh, century philosopher that that uh, postulated sort of the uh, the theory. He he kind of came up with this. It was like a mental exercise, mental game, where he said, you know, in the future we have these we have these. Uh, um, uh, uh, neuroscientists that can put you into effectively the matrix juice, right? Yeah. You know, and you think about Neo kind of in his tube and all of these sort of wires plugged into him. And, uh, and his, his, uh, the question he was asking people is if you, would you be willing to live in that scenario? If you knew that you were in that scenario, yeah. would you be willing would you to live it? in that, choose yeah. that scenario if, if all of your needs were met? Right. If all your needs are met, you were happy, you were living a utopian, blissful life. Right. And what, you know, would that be the case? And I, what's what at least studies have shown recently is that as the years have progressed, people have become more and more accepting of mm. that idea. Yeah. And I actually think that's one of the reasons why I think it's actually I, I think that, you know, in some ways, us being living this sort of cellular lives and, and you know, this we've been almost trained to kind of live in this almost like sort of simulated environment. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. What's crazy about that is that I was going to save this till later, but but we're here now, so I think we should discuss this maybe too before we yeah, yeah, yeah. dig in further. Is I think COVID. Now this may be wild eyed and uh, harebrained, but I think COVID has primed us for a lot of things, sure. and I think it has primed us for the metaverse. It's also shown, I think, how susceptible we are to ideas in my in my mind. And here's what I mean by that: is that the philosophy, not mm-hmm. the scientism of naturalism, but the philosophy of naturalism, where you believe that there is a natural explanation basically for all things, and that um, that objective science essentially can um, explain everything. Um, <clears throat> So while there, the vast majority of, of Americans still have no idea about naturalism as a philosophy, there is a like a soft uh, naturalism that we've accepted when we, we throw around terms like the science, right, mm-hmm. in, in relation to COVID and stuff like that. And, and uh, people who are far too quick to just be like, well, you just don't believe the science. And yeah. these are typically leftists who... Don't, who don't believe in natural immunity and also believe that a baby in the womb is not actually alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, we're living in this topsy-turvy world regardless. But, but, but that idea is really rooted, even if they don't know it, is really rooted in this kind of naturalistic philosophical idea that science can explain everything. But it's, but it's, but it's ill-conceived because there is no such thing as the science. Mm-hmm. Anybody who is a real scientist will explain this and, mm-hmm. and knows this to be true. Mm-hmm. It's like, what science are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Very often scientists don't agree upon things. And science isn't this endeavor to try to make people, uh, to create consensus among people. Really, science is exploration and asking questions and very often posing hypotheses for mm-hmm. things that they really don't have all of the evidence for, but they're willing to discover. And so this calling something the science as a way to shut down conversation, as a way to eliminate uh, intellectual dialogue, um, that's where the the negative side of the philosophy of naturalism comes into play. And, and there are people who, whether they know it or not, have bought fully into this idea. So that's a long way of just saying this, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, is that we might think the metaverse is far-fetched, and mm-hmm. I, we'll talk about this in a minute, but but if anything, what we're seeing in real time right before our eyes is that people are incredibly susceptible to ideas, and, and especially if they believe that those ideas provide them some sense of safety and security, mm-hmm. especially in a world where, where God, for many people, don't exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they need that security blanket. Because um, yeah. yeah. I'll be the first to admit, by the way, that I think God is a crutch, but he's the best kind of crutch. <laughs> he's the one that uh, that helps us in our weakness, helps us when we when we can't get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, whether we know it or not, everybody has a crutch. Um, it's just, is your crutch an everlasting foundation that you can actually stand on? So all of that to say, we're seeing in real time that people are susceptible to ideas, so it makes the metaverse even more plausible mm-hmm. than ever before. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've had a random thought. I've never, I've always wondered why no one's ever coined the term science of the gaps. You know, I've always, mm-hmm. I've always well, said the God have. of the gaps. Yeah, they yeah, have. Yeah. Okay. You've heard this before? Yeah. Okay. I've never heard it before. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. So the, the, where they can't find an explanation, they, they put science there. And this Absolutely. is the, this is the big problem with the new atheist movement is, sure. is that they have no rational belief system to disprove the existence of God, much less that the world came into existence through mm-hmm. random happenstance. There's yep. no scientific model that actually 
can show that it's all pure hypothesis. So yeah. the idea that naturalism has disproven God or that science has disproven God is is a more faith-based statement than it is to say that Jesus was born of a virgin. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I know we agree about this, and yeah. there's probably room for um, discussion there, but because that's a loaded statement. But mm. the point is, is that, yeah, that it's a, naturalism has a faith-based element to it, too, that Absolutely. is found in the New Atheist movement. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So I, I know I chase rabbits from time to time, but bringing it back, that, that that does kind of bring us to this idea of: is the metaverse plausible? Are we going to get to Ready Player One, where basically we don't leave our home, uh, we engage with the world? Uh, so, like, the world is totally dystopian all around us, but we engage in a world of our own creation, and it could be anything that we want, mm-hmm. and we choose that world. We yeah. choose our matrix. Yeah. So, how plausible? Is it at least from a ground level that the metaverse is going to become a reality? I think it really depends on what people's ex- expectation of the metaverse is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. The Ready Player One has done a really good job of painting this sort of, you know, there's there's a, the other movies as well. There's a movie that came out in the late 90s called Strange Days. There's, there are different movies that have kind of played off this. The Matrix is another one. Yep. Um, and there's it's we have this sort of full immersive haptic feedback. Everything We're experiencing this thing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, well, first of all, the technology is not there. I, I think yeah. it's important to state the technology is not there. The yeah, technology. Yeah. I want to say something about that because okay. Elon Musk was on, uh, the Babylon Bee podcast and yeah, yeah. he was asked about this. I don't know if you saw this, but no. he was asked about this and he said, like, I don't know if you've put on an Oculus headset, you can wear it for about an hour and then it starts to hurt your head and then you take it off. And he thinks that it's far-fetched and ill-advised for Facebook to be launching into the metaverse and, and, and like cashing in all their chips for for that for that move. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, so he doesn't think that it's really going to be a plausible technology. Yeah, I mean it, I mean there are lots of there are lots of sort of concepts that we study when we're building immersive uh, engagement material. So mm-hmm. um, uh, like one thing that we talk about a lot is the uncanny valley. <clears throat> the uncanny valley when we're building human human or humanoid characters you have to interact with. There's a certain as as a humanoid character, it's not a human being approaches a human status or close to human status and they're almost sort of mirroring your your um your mannerisms right mm-hmm. we we as human beings experience a certain level of disgust right we we don't want to accept that that's a human being like it's just kind of a natural response that we have that science has not really been able to kind of explain super well like why do yeah. we have this why mm-hmm. we have this experience um, and so, so those are those are fundamental problems that we're going to be facing if we're ever going to get to a point where, like, you're actually interacting with a, an artificial agent, for instance, yeah. right? But if we're talking about the actual technology as well, like, like what you're talking about, the Oculus has gotten way better. Mm-hmm. And the, the Quest Two is a great great example. I mean, there's there's network games. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that we can do in that that we ha- we've never been able to do, and it's really wonderful. Um, but I think that we need to also understand that. <clears throat> That it's a it's it's a simulation. It's yeah. a simulation, and uh, we're not being coached. That's a simulation, though. I think that what you're responding to, and I think that what a lot of people are responding to in their questions are, where does this t- where does this take us yeah. as human beings, right? Because we're being coached away from the idea that this is a diversion, mm-hmm. right? That this is this is an entertaining experience. This is something that maybe it's it's a chat room in 3D in virtual reality, right? Yeah. And th- this isn't that's that's not the end goal. The end goal is something I think the end goal in in um, Silicon Valley's eyes is something that's a lot more 
grandiose than that, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think it's probably good to kind of continue thinking about those issues. So I, I love to ruin a good segue because that really does play well into kind of, well, it may not be this thing that totally replaces reality. It may not turn into dystopian Ready Player One or Matrix or whatever. But w- what what are some of the more realistic implications? Because even those are something we need to talk about. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of drill down a little bit further in how realistic it is that any of those things will even take place. So, so I have a clip real quick that I want to show you. Okay. And this kind of deals more with... AI and cybernetics and robotics and stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think this will really paint the picture of kind of how legitimate is these things uh, and how concerned with them should should we be. So mm-hmm. so check this out real quick. really sophisticated okay so here's my response to that okay um and then i'd love to hear you kind of just shoot me down or just tell me what's your response <laughs> to that okay so it's really cool it's mm-hmm. it's interesting but here we are in 2022 and we have we're still trying to kind of like get robots to mimic human like expression and emotions and i'm thinking to myself this is the best that we've gotten thus far because mm-hmm. it's really unrealistic i mean it's super cool right mm-hmm. I, so i don't yeah i don't deny that one for one second uh, but you paint that person with flesh color put a wig on them whatever you try to do the best that you can to make them look like a human being and the way that that robot is acting doesn't look convincing to me as mm-hmm. human whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, so I, when I saw that, I was thinking to myself, okay, so which points to this uncanny valley sort of uh, phenomenon that we were yeah. talking about just a second ago? Okay, yeah, yeah. So dig dig into that a little bit further. Yeah, well, um, if effectively that it is what we were kind of talking about, it's this idea that that we face a valley of uh, rejection, like we see that. Mm-hmm. character. And that's one of the reasons actually why robotics has continued to push in this direction of like, hey, we need to make humans more, we need to make humanoid robots more and more human. Yeah, right? Believable. Believable. And it's actually one of the reasons why Musk has rejected this with his sort of, ro- his plan of robots, sort of worker robots, right? Is he wants to make them um, really, un- really non-threatening, mm-hmm. humanoid in, um, in physiology, but not human looking necessarily. Because what I think what he's doing is he's going, I want to make something that is, and Musk is sort of the grand utilitarian of our days, right? Sure. He's the one. He's like, I want to make something that's going to be utilitarian to the human human species, rather than something that's competing with the human species, or yeah. or a companion in some ways. Yeah, he, he quote, I quoted. Uh, he was quoted as saying uh, that AI is summoning the demon. So yeah. he's really concerned he with is. the fact that uh, the singularity that will re- or that robots will replace us. Yeah, he's he's been concerned with the singularity for a long time, and I, I mean, I can I. I can definitely understand that. It's it's full of all sorts of things that we don't know, and we we, we would stray into the realm of science fiction pretty quickly if we started to speculate there. But yeah, um, I I also do think that a lot of the uh, a lot of predictions, as we were talking about with technology, a lot of the predictions are overblown. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the idea that we would ever we could ever well maybe at some point we can get to a place where it feels somewhat realistic. You know, video games themselves have become much more realistic. Sure. But the, the, we're limited at this point 
and this and this is we can get into quantum computing. This is a whole nother topic that we can say for a different time. But we're limited by by actual sort of classical models of physics. Like we can't we can't make chips that are faster uh, without breaking into quantum computing. Mm -hmm. Basically, we're run, we're running out of a processing ability. Okay. So when and when you're talking about wearing something on your face, you know, like Musk was saying with Oculus. I mean, you're going to run out of battery power. We have, you know, we have to think about counterweights on head. We have to think about people sweating. We have to think about, there's all these different reactions. And then, and that's not to take into account basically all of our other sense factors, right? And we've yeah. got, you know, oral senses and olfactory senses, and we have our all, all of our haptic senses. These are all things that we're still very, I mean, we're playing in, I mean, we're basically playing in the dirt on that. Like we don't, we're very, very far away from anything that's even remotely yeah. uh, Ready Player One-ish. So, so yeah. I think that's so important to say because that does take us to the next topic in terms of like the ethics of sure. a metaverse or the metaverse kind of writ large. Because, all right, so here's the way I think about this. And you can tell me what you think and tell me if you feel like this is maybe a valid concern. Okay. My concern with this is that when social media was first produced, we had this utopian idea of what social media would be. It would be this thing that draws us together, that it would be a way to connect with grandma, or if you're really like um, deviant, your high school girlfriend, um, it would be this thing that just takes us from all over the world and brings us together. And I, I, I have a more, I think, realistic and uh, pessimistic view as to the negative effects of social media. Sure. Having a podcast and, and uh, especially being a Christian conservative, I, I see people say things to me and say things about guests that they would never, ever dare say to anybody's face mm -hmm. um, in ways that's been incredibly polarizing, politicizing, and, and in some ways, I think, really degraded conversation i think in a large part now i can't prove this but mm -hmm. but i just i it's my quandary i suspect that the reason we have these the suspicion that conversation the art of conversation is dying in our day and age mm -hmm. and that we can't disagree without hating one another or mm -hmm. otherizing people i think a lot of that just has to do simply with social media i think screens have changed our relationship with each other Absolutely. in a in a fundamental way and mm -hmm. so my question is is then even if the metaverse doesn't become this all-encompassing thing where it's where we go to to bars where it's where we go to um the movies uh, it's where we go to work and, and whatever even if it doesn't become this all-encompassing thing what if it's just simply a place where we socialize mm -hmm. what does that look what does that do to our socialization as as a species sure 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 and i you know this is also another thing that that sherry turkle actually mentioned i really like uh, her writing quite a bit she uh she mentions that you know if we're spending three or four hours on social media mm -hmm. this is we need to understand that we're sacrificing three or four Four hours doing something else, right. right? We could be engaging with someone else in in, in real human uh, communication, you know, right. and that that is there is something to be said. There's a toll to be to be taken there, right? Um, I I do th I think you bring up a lot of interesting points. The uh, the idea to me, and this is we're going to get a little bit more philosophical on this because I think it's probably a good place to go. The idea of of the of metaverse or a metaverse to me is is sort of a representation, if we were to kind of convert into philosophical terms, of, of, uh, of, of, of a simulacra, if you're familiar with that term. No. All right, so I'm going to use, I'll use it from a, I'll, I'll actually kind of use it from uh, Jean Baudrillard's kind of understanding, he's a French 20th century philosopher. Um, so 
to him, what a simulacra was is is it was a a copy. It was it goes through these four stages, and you have sort of the original item, and you have a copy of that, and you have a copy of a copy, okay. and then you have a copy of a copy of a copy. Right by that time, you reach that basically the meaning of whatever that original thing was is completely gone. Mm-hmm. Right, it's completely gone, and and to me. Um, uh, Baudrillard's still, he's kind of scared of that, but he actually had a contemporary, this guy Deleuze, and he was, Deleuze was a... Uh, you Deleuze, do that very well, by the way. Thanks, thanks. That's French. I've been working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Study enough philosophy, you have to learn the French, right? For sure. Um, so I'm he... Spiritually bankrupt. Anyway. <laughs> Deleuze was a contemporary of Foucault, and he studied under, uh, under Hegelians at the Sorbonne, and he was basically, so he really believed this, this is pretty fascinating, uh, he thought the simulacra, uh, he saw it as an avenue which would be accept, uh, uh, by which an accepted ideal or privileged position could be challenged and overturned, hmm. right? Wow. So this idea that what we can do is we can take, by, by losing meaning, right, in the simulacra, by, or the simulacrum is the, the plural of that, by losing meaning, uh, eventually what we can do is we can use these things as avenues to change perception, mm. right? And oh. so so when we when we remove ourselves, like, so when we think of social media, social media in some ways is kind of a simulacra, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it, actually, I'll give kind of a weird example of like a simulacra to kind of take it, take it down a little bit. So have you ever heard of the, uh, I might screw up this pronunciation, so hang with me. So uh, the, the Neusch, Neuschwanstein castle, Neuschwanstein. Have you heard of that one? Okay, I've heard of Wolfenstein before. Wolf but... Castle, Wolfenstein. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I have both played that metaverse. The uh, so K- King Ludwig II. So he built this castle, and it's the castle that acts as the example for the Magic Kingdom in Disney. Are you familiar okay. with this? Yes. Okay, so it's like it's in Germany. It's got these spires, and it's okay, really yes, yes, it's yes. really pretty, really beautiful. Well, the thing about that is that. That is, it was built in the 1880s, hmm. right? It was, it was, it was in romantic, it was a romantic example uh, of architecture that was actually influenced by Ludwig's uh, interest in Wagner's music and the sort of mythos behind all that. So what's funny is that a lot of people have this idea that, that this is what medieval castles look like, right? right. Because he built that. And that was so iconic. And then the Magic Kingdom came along. And so people look at it and go, that's that's a medieval castle. Well, if you look at pictures of medieval castles, they don't look like that at yeah, all, right? Yeah. So the meaning of the medieval castle fortress and this sort of seat of power and this thick walls, yeah, that's and interesting. It's, it's completely lost because it's been disconnected so far from it, right? Mm-hmm. So social media and, and metaverses are, be, are becoming these sort of playgrounds of simulacrum, right? And our lives, the way I see it, is that our lives are becoming simulacra, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, when the more that we spend time in these sort of cellular existences, right, yeah. and in isolation, which we're, I I really think that we're being conditioned to do so, the more that uh, we continue to buy into these like curated. Um, curated lives where we can kind of show these specific examples, but they don't necessarily represent the reality underneath that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what happens is that like the metaverse is an end-to-end simulacra, right? It is. It's it's this like, you don't have any risk of being embarrassed in this thing at all. You can yeah. create your own fortresses. You can be your own person. It totally ties into the idea of sort of a trans narrative, right? Transhuman, transgender, transsexuality. You can be, you can... You can uh, self-actualize in your own simulacra, yeah. right? And no one can challenge you. It's a safe a safe place for you to be able to do that. Okay, so I got, I got to interject here because okay. the next place that I was going to go is just is really that is that 
the metaverse if it just becomes a gaming slash socialization place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're already doing this, by the way. You can go to strip clubs, you can go to bars, you can go hang out with your friends, you can certainly online gaming and all that kind of stuff. And so the question is, is, is where does that where does that stop? Where does that um, kind of simulate? Where does the simulation stop in real life begin? Because, like, what if you get what if it's Grand Theft Auto and you can go around killing people in the metaverse, or you can rape a child in the metaverse? You say, well, it's just technology and it's just the metaverse, or mm-hmm. it's just a metaverse, um, but but it's not real life. And then you think to yourself, well, not really, because now we're starting to shape the way we our brains work and mm-hmm. what's ex- what's socially acceptable so now you can go totally disguised to a strip club you would never do it in person you can go totally disguised to a strip club never n- never let your wife uh, know about it and and you can go there totally anonymously and it's just like boy this opens up a whole pandora's box of kind of like what does this do to us as a as a society yeah yeah well i mean i guess the question you have to ask yourself then is well, I mean, we can get in the sort of moral discussions, but the you know, is that fulfilling to you? Mm-hmm. you know, is that fulfilling to you? Like, this is something I've been wrestling with a lot personally as a Christian and a father of teenagers as well. I go, uh, what are the lines that I draw? Like, the, as as Christians, is is there you know? Because what I don't want to do, as especially as a Christian technologist, somebody who works in, in social sciences as well, I don't I don't want to push Christians into this sort of you know, I don't want us to become sort of neo luddites. I don't want us to say, you know, burn all technology. Yeah. We're just going to go back to the to the to the land. The dark ages. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, I do know that the land. I do know that that God's uh, God's beauty, uh, or God, God's majesty, is expressed through the beauty of creation. And those are things that we're. It's funny. The more that we we distance ourselves from that, right, and have that sort of unique connection to the land. The more that uh, the more that we feel, and people buy into this idea that we're living in in the simulation. I don't know if you know you've, you've you've heard that that's become way more popular these days. That yeah. people are fascinated by this idea. Um, but because we're like, it seems like every interaction that we're having is living in simulation. Right. But as far as being a Christian and letting my letting my own children have their own interactions with technology, I want them to be able to have that. I want them to be able to also to express a sophisticated uh, um, uh, view on these things and right. be able to kind of go, yes, I understand that that's You don't there want and the village. Here. You don't want them isolated completely from society. Exactly, exactly. But we do need to know that it takes a pound of flesh. And I think that a lot of Christians are, are uh, they are allowing, uh, they are allowing themselves, and I'm, this is a cautionary warning. I think it's for me as well. Mm-hmm. They're allowing themselves to be, uh, to be consumed, to be groomed, to to uh, symbolically interact with other people through conduits that aren't healthy, mm, yeah. and and you have to go. Um, there is a um, th- there is going to be an exchange here. You know, there is going to be an exchange here. I am, as Sherry Turkle was saying, I am I'm investing time in this, whether it's a um, it's something as as simple as I don't know, curating a Pinterest board, right? Yeah. Or or like posting your photos to to Instagram, right? You're spending time curating rather than investing maybe in your life, right? Or investing in somebody else's life, That's right. rather than connecting, rather than sharing who you are, 
you know, uniquely with a friend or, or, or somebody within your family or your child or your, or your parent, you're, you're doing that. And so I think that when we allow ourselves to build these walls, which the, met, which the metaverse or uh, metaverses in, in, in general are so good at doing when we allow ourselves to build these walls, we, uh, we, we really uniquely pull ourselves out of that engagement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the, the trade-offs. So uh-huh. this is what I wanted to ask you about. So one of the trade-offs, is it privacy? Because mm-hmm. one of the things that social media and um, the tech industry has been famous for is for data mining. Now, that's how they make their money. That's mm-hmm. how all this stuff is free to the public to use because they're data mining. So even if it doesn't become like your world or the world in which you live and now interact in, there's still this question of, if, if it becomes more immersive than it is right now and starts to occupy an even more prominent place in our life, is there this concern with privacy? And so um, I, I don't want to say the name of the magazine because I can't remember, but I think it was Motor Trends. Motor mm-hmm. Trends just released an article um, about kind of this very subject. In Biden's infrastructure plan, there is this kill switch in cars that now if they perceive that you are drunk driving or whatnot, sure. that uh, they can they can kill your car. Now, there's all sorts of implications. Which sounds great, and to some degree, right? <laughs> you know, you're It like, sounds really freaking scary to me. Oh, well, it does. It does. I'm just talking about on the surface, it's easy to sell. You're like, oh, yeah, we're going to keep drunk drivers off yeah. the road, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, you're, you're also going, well, that means that we can take control of your car anytime that we feel like taking control of your car. Well, and we're surveilling you essentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it, the same thing is true of this kind of like of this metaverse now. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there is there a concern about that, like this increasing surveillance day? And John Lennox in his book, I want to pull it up real quick because he calls it, um, so because we always talk about surveillance capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you almost alluded it, to it with yeah. your, I can't remember the name of it now, but you're kind of like multiple realities until you just- Simulacra. Simula- simulacra, you almost yeah. alluded to it, is that- um, that he calls it surveillance communism. Uh-huh, sure. That uh, that essentially through some of these technologies, what we're trying to do, and and what cultural Marxists are trying to do, is to undermine um, the the fabric of society, societal relationships. So in the process of Absolutely. doing so, Absolutely. it creates a space for revolution. If we can undermine existing structures, this was what Marx was after. He said that uh, for communism to thrive, that it is reliant upon the destruction of all existing conditions. Mm-hmm. And so cultural Marxists are, are famous for this. They want to destroy everything. And yeah. then from the ashes, they want to build. So it, so it, it brings this question of what, what are kind of the trade-offs? Is, is, is that one of them? Do we need to be worried about surveillance communism? Wow. Uh, I've kind of been preaching the privacy thing for years. And, and I, 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 sadly, I think it's a losing battle. Hmm. Yeah. Um, people don't care about their privacy. I think people, yeah. I mean, so the thing that you need to understand, and this is the thing that I, I really want everyone to, when, if they hear this podcast to understand, is that if you're not paying for, if you're not paying for a product, then, then guess what? Then you are, you are you're being sold. You're the product. That's right. So, um, so things like, um, I mean, I th- I think that lots of people leave their location services on on their phone all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are passing all of your location data off, and whether or not you think that it's not happening, that location data is being fed into giant machine learning algorithms that are trying to know every single thing that there is to know about you. Mm-hmm. They want to know what apps you're interacting with. They want to know what your what your search engine results are. They're trying to they're trying to basically 
put together a sort of a gestalt understanding of, of who you are, right? Uh, so that they can predict your moves. They can predict how you're going to vote. They can predict uh, what are the products you're going to be interested in. There's a, there's a lot that kind of has gone into this. So yeah. one of the things I'm worried about is that, yeah, I mean, I hear that argument, but I think that in some ways, um, if people feel like they can get great services and they can get them for free, they're 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 <laughs> okay, fine. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you too. There's it's more a Faustian Aldous, bargain for yeah, sure. It, there's more Aldous Huxley for you. Yeah, um, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. they're well willing to let go of their freedoms if it means more pleasure. Um, okay, but so what? The only caveat to that, maybe in my mind, is this: is um, as when you think about surveillance communism, the thing that comes to mind for me is mm-hmm. social credit scores because oh, sure. now we're surveilling you to see what kind of citizen you are if you're interacting with the people that the government wants you to interact with or if people that they consider anathema and you know where you're going and whether or not that's government approved. And then you're just getting a social credit score based upon um, – and this is already happening in China, right? So um, – and I, I almost think it's a little overwrought because – I don't know that people are doing a great job of of explaining it to people, mm-hmm. but uh, the ideas of the Great Reset um, is yeah. essentially just this thing that I'm alluding to, is that ultimately technology can be a source through which t- social upheaval is is obtained. Yeah. So I, I'm almost wondering too, is, is, is there some... Is there some sense in which we're go- the the behavior of people will be there are they're surveilling our cars? Is the behavior of people in a metaverse going to be surveilled and then absolutely total total public knowledge absolutely. for the government or whoever? Well, I don't know about government. I think that I think that I don't know. I I try to not talk as much about sort of nation states and necessarily them being actors. I mean, I think that they I think they still have lots of power. I think that we've seen that the last two years. Yeah. How much power? Um, at least um, um, boards of bureaucrats have over our society, yeah. right? Especially when they can kind of wield existential threat against us. Um, but uh, I think that people aren't quite as scared uh, as they need to be, you know, regarding sort of being a product, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't think that people, I think people go, well, they're just trying to kind of make my life better, right? They're trying to make my life better. Like, like, like take for instance the the Alexa right Alexa yeah. now Alexa is a tool that a lot of people use now and and Amazon has 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 promised up and down left and right that they're not using that data for anything nefarious and they're not listening unless you say Alexa and this and then the other but what are they doing with that data right I mean I, I someone has to ask the question what are they doing with that data you know they could they could with hundreds of thousands of those devices in how homes around the country constantly listening they can corner markets on toys for christmas they can they can know who the next uh who they can take opinion polls uh by just listening to ambient audio inside your house i mean there's there there's so much actionable data that they that they can pull just from hearing i mean that that and people are not aware of this well maybe they are aware of it but they they don't necessarily care and those are things that i'm worried about the metaverse is going to be um I think the metaverse even takes that a step further, but uh, people definitely need to understand that the, they're not going to be able to participate in the metaverse as an enemy combatant. Enemy mm-hmm. combatant. Yeah, like, so that's a good point. Yeah, so I mean, if you're talking about commerce, you're talking about exchange of, of ideas or relationships, that is all going to be highly curated, yeah. and you're not going to be welcome to the party as a, a part of the community. As if you get downvoted enough, you're you're going to be off. I mean, we're already seeing that, right? Yeah, yeah, With yeah, tech sure. censorship, oh, absolutely, they can take the president of the United States off. And so, I, I guess I'm 
I think you're right, mm-hmm. um, and but I'm I'm optimistic that there are more people like me that we're sick and tired Absolutely. of not only tech censor- censorship but sick and tired of the narrative that they're they're not that powerful mm-hmm. and that they don't mean that much. And this this takes many shapes and forms, but perhaps one of them is just the idea that like, oh, Twitter's not the real world. And then you realize that, no, in some ways it is. Mm -hmm. These people who are on Twitter and incredibly radical then go to their jobs and then gutless CEOs of corporations and stuff give way to like Ibram X. Kendi nonsense and diversity, equity, and inclusion training simply because there's a couple, a small minority of vocal employees at their company that want that stuff implemented and they don't want the backlash that comes from Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I'm personally like I'm done with the idea that social media is not that powerful. We need to come. We need to wake up to that reality. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I do. I do think that there are people that are pushing back against that. It's a it's it's I definitely don't think it's a lost cause. But yet at the same time, we're willing to uh, we're willing to accept certain amounts of 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 bending or breaking those rules, even in our own lives. I mean, yeah. I mean, how true. how many people do you know are really good about abiding by? Hey, we're not going to watch TV at all during the week. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just throwing this out as an example. It's like, a good, great example. You know, like uh, just going, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to have family time every single night during during the week, right? Yeah. And just just a simple rule. It, you know, eventually there's so many good things to watch, and you know, oh, that came out, and this came out, and there's there's endless amounts of of streaming, and we can just, yeah, you know, I'm so tired, I'm exhausted, and those are the things that keep driving us more back to this, like this idea of living in like, um, in a simulacrum or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're almost sort of building these existences that are you know, copies of an existence, Yeah, you know, and we're, we're satisfied with that. That is, that's, I think that's the great ruse of tech, of, of the sort of giant tech firms. Mm-hmm. I don't, and like I said, I don't want to paint a conspiratorial uh, view of these folks. I mean, I have a lot of good friends that work for the big the big tech firms. Yeah. And I've worked with them personally. I've worked with their teams. And I know some really awesome people. But, um, you know, the and that's one of the reasons why I talked about nation states. I think nation states can kind of be a red herring because I think there's so much power that's being wielded. This is, and we live, we live in a society that cares about big data, mm-hmm. you know, and that everything's run by big data and, and politicians bow to big data, you know, and that's, it's really important for them. And, and if they got their hands on the amount of data that we filter through these, through, through, um, our devices, I mean, they would be, it, it would, they would be drunk on power. It's right. just incredible. So I don't know. I think that I think that we need to take a step back. I think we need to be aware of what they're doing, and I think that we, especially Christians, I would really, really implore Christians to to stop and to to go. Is this what is the what is the uh, payoff, or what's the excuse me? What's the personal cost yeah. for me engaging with this in this way? Yeah. Um, and every single interaction we make through a digital device, I think that we need to go. What is the is this worth the payoff? Right. Is this worth the payoff? And um, I, I, you know, I think that you'd probably find that at least 50 percent of your daily interactions, they're not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, that one of the social payoffs that I'm really hopefully aware of and trying to kind of get at in, in the podcast kind of writ large, specifically with my shows during the week is. It's just the idea that one of the payoffs could be existential crisis, that there's a crisis of meaning in the United States where mm. we, I think the whole dr- transgender movement is essentially um, a a symptom of, of this thing. So 
the way I talk about it is that the further we've moved away from God, become a post-Christian nation mm-hmm. in the West, the American West specifically, um, we expected that removal of God from those from those areas of life to remain empty, but instead we've tried to fill them with other things. That that hole was not going to remain void. It was going to be filled up with other things. And we're desperately trying to fill in. It doesn't even matter if we're going to the garbage heap and trying to put garbage into the hole that's left there. Um, But we're desperately trying to find something to put there. And I can't help but wonder, too, if that doesn't leave a a space for the metaverse to kind of step in there and this to be this kind of solution for us in the midst of desperately searching for meaning. So the, so the, the idea and some, something that we're really obsessed with in, in, um, in Western culture in particular is the idea of self action, self actualization. Yeah. So identity, identity, yeah. self actualization, uh, Matt top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that we become no longer, we're not, we, we're, we aren't, we don't have any psychological deficits. We don't have any physical deficits. We're now people in some ways, and to, I'm going to extrapolate this out. I see it as almost sort of like transcendent man, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I kind of point it more towards this sort of trans movement, um, that we are going to become that thing. And that's something that the simulacra of, of the metaverse is trying to promise, right? That what you can do is you can become you can become self-actualized. You can become this thing. So actually, I had a really good discussion. Uh, it's funny before before this with my father, who's a who's actually an eminent psychologist in his own right, and and uh, and we he was talking about <clears throat> specifically the how uh, how this has affected people, and and his approach is that. Uh, is that we've we started to attach ourselves, and actually one of the reasons why um, why this has become really appealing is that rather than growing up in sort of an, an attachment structure that is uh, is healthy, where we attach ourselves to family members and we attach ourselves to uh, to uh, ancestry or to uh, specific aspects of our civilization, and we we connect in that way, which is traditionally how it's been handled in the past. What we've done is we started to through the simulacra, right, through the metaverse, through social media, we've decided to attach ourselves to peers, mm-hmm. right? So peer attachment has replaced these sort of traditional forms of attachment that are healthier attachment. And and what we do is we leave ourselves completely unmoored. But people are trying to, through the metaverse, right, they're trying to find what you're saying, meaning, right? Yeah. They're trying to find meaning. They're trying to get to this place of self-actualization. Like, I am going to become transcendent man, become the sort of the god of my own universe, um, which is actually the goal eventually of transhumanism, right? Is that we sort of rise, rise above sort of the, the human shell evolution from an evolutionary standpoint. Yeah. Um, but that what we're going to use is we're going to use the metaverse to become transcendent man. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and, but all the while our attachment is to these peers and they're all unmoored. Right. Cause they don't have, because, yeah, in some ways, the 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 cultural theory, the cultural Marxism, if we're going to point to something specifically, Frankfurt School sort of thought, which is you know talks about destroying these sort of these these uh, integrations with uh, family and structure, yeah. has done such a good job of unmooring us from these peer from these from these uh, healthy attachments, these peer attachments that we're left with a complete meaning void, yeah. right? Searching. Every single day, all day long for it, building structures that will support our, 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 our nearest whim, where we can become transcendent gods in our, own mi- in our own minds and our own eyes, and we are completely baseless. Yeah. I'm going to say something about this. Sorry, because No, no, that's, this is fantastic, because yeah. this was in the, the 70s, for crying out loud. In second wave feminism, there's this um, 
this woman, last name Firestone, and she made this quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, but essentially this is a faithful paraphrase of what she said. She said, um, and and by the way, people need to know who are listening to this, second wave feminism is really kind of the culprit behind the modern day transgender movement today, um, because first wave feminism was fighting for women equality, women, women's right, women's suffrage, right to vote and all that stuff. Second wave feminism is vastly different, and it was fighting for women to be men, essentially. Um, and and so anyway, she she said this, uh, essentially. She said that we will fight against nature and what it has made in womanhood so that we can totally destroy the category of womanhood. We will f- fight nature tooth and nail at all costs, even using whatever technology we possibly can to override nature if that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. And so there's this scary idea that they're so determined to fight against even the biological reality of their gender and what that means because second wave feminism like at at least in there is like this implicit statement that okay um uh, biological sex actually exists but we're going to totally destroy it and use technology to do it and then boom you've got people mutilating their body in all Mm -hmm. of these obscene ways Mm -hmm. in order to override nature and Mm -hmm. so essentially that quote is just kind of it's a little scary, quite frankly, but it, it alludes to what exactly what you're saying, that yep. it totally changed, that technology can, if we allow it to, totally change our relationship with our perception of reality. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the, you know, obviously the irony is that in that is that, that it, this is backfiring on the second wave feminist movement, you know, that there are actually a lot of sort of new feminists that are going, hey, we're, women are losing yeah. again. You know, this is, this is changing. Yeah, yeah. Um, second, second wave feminism is absolutely cannibalizing the feminist movement and yes. the transgender movement specifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The um, But yeah, we're, I mean, this is the situation we're in right now. So... You know, it's hard to kind of know where to go with this. So, all right, we get to we get two choices here because we're going to be binary thinkers: okay. um, utopia or dystopia. If we're <laughs> if we're to prognosticate, as uh, Facebook sells out and cashes in all its chips uh, to create a metaverse and probably leading the way as they have in social media, leading yep. the way for multiple more metaverses to come around them. What do you think that this does? And again, this is just pure prognostication. Mm-hmm. And I promise I'm a rational optimist. I'll kind of share what I think, but I'd like to hear what you think. Do you? What do you think the future of – we've already talked about the future of the metaverse, but what do you think about the future of humanity under the guise of the metaverse looks like? All right. So, okay. I, yeah, I think that um, – I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be, especially coming out of the COVID crisis and coming out of the sheer amount of competing uh, – Worldviews, and actually, people seeing seeing that there are worldviews that are being crushed down by uh, by um, um, consensus in some ways of the sort of the mass voice. I'm hoping that people will will take this as as what it is, which should be an entertainment conduit. Right. Yeah. That's what that's what I'm hoping that it is. Um, I do think there are other people who will wholesale buy into it, and this is what they this is the world that they want to live in. Yeah. Um, I, I think those are in some ways training wheels for the idea of transhumanism. You know, I think that th- those people are going to be the people who are going to be interested in in um, um, Elon Musk's uh, cyborgism. You know, like a, the sort of what was it called Neuralink? Neuralink is his company. Mm-hmm. You know, companies that are going to be offering sort of. Um, um, tools that allows for us to augment our bodies, things like that. I think those are the people that are going to be kind of edging into that. But 
frankly speaking, I think it's mostly science fiction, you know. So actually, I'm I'm without you know, not playing too much into your binary uh, paradigm here. I want to, uh, I'm probably going to plead the fifth a little bit and kind of say, rather than it being utopian or dystopian, I think in some ways it's a little bit science fiction just yet. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I hope so. Um, so I think I'm going to side with you at least in this way okay. is that I, I think we keep on, I think we can fight against nature so much. I think Firestone is right in that there is this rebellious nature. And if I were to go really biblical on you, like Pulp Fiction style, I would talk about <laughs> Satan and his kind of original intent to kind of rebel against nature and rebel against God and rebel against the natural order. But I think it catches up to us enough. And I think that there's this kind of stop gap or kind of defense against doing that too much that God has installed in nature that that keeps us running up against that brick wall so many times until we finally say we can't we can't get through it mm-hmm. and maybe we need to change course. Yeah. This is happening in COVID yet again. This is happening with the suicide epidemic that even our federal government now is recognizing among young people. Sure. Is that this idea of masking kids, this idea of of, of keeping them separated from kids and shutting down school. So uh, in Flint, Michigan, I believe it is, that they have just again declared that they're going into perpetual virtual learning uh, for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry Weiss was on the other uh, day with Bill Maher talking mm-hmm. about this, and mm-hmm. she said what the, the federal government and what bureaucrats have done with COVID is – is a moral crime against humanity. Sure. And I'm just thinking, whoa. So that's a, she's a brave woman and I love her. Um, and she, she doesn't, she's incredibly liberal too, which is the crazy thing yeah, is yeah, that yeah. I think we're coming to this realization that there are repercussions for the things that we are doing. And I can't help but wonder if that will be the same with the metaverse. I don't think it will truly replace our human interactions. I don't think it can truly take the place of what God has created in our hearts to long for, <laughs> which is not only human interaction, but authenticity. And mm-hmm. I just don't know that the metaverse is going to provide that authentic experience for what life was created to be that the human heart craves. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I want to read a couple things um, specifically. Well, one quote from a, from a blog that I read that I think is really funny. This, this, this young lady is an architectural critic, but she wrote specifically about the, um, there, was a, there was a video that came out just recently. It actually wasn't Walmart Arts metaverse experience, but it was something that was related to something they pitched back in 2017. And she she wrote a critical analysis of this, and she she said, I thought this is great, there's nothing in the metaverse that can compete with waking up on a foggy mountain Mm. in uh, Lublina, nothing that can replicate the feeling of a warm bath after a long day sitting at a desk, nothing that can replace watching a basketball game with friends in a bar that smells like old curtains, <laughs> <laughs> nothing that makes me look at a preternaturally warm January and think, I give up, I, I'd give it all up. Mm. And I thought That's that so that good. was, I thought that it was really, really poignant because those, those, are, those things and those experiences are the things that point us back to, they point us back to the beauty and majesty of God. It is, it is that, that sort of common grace conversation that, that drives people to an engagement with Christ, if we're, we're going to kind of go with that. And, and, uh, and it's just really, uh, those, those are the things that are really missing. Now, con- conversely, I want to paint this as well, and I want people to hear how serious this is. I wrote a piece on this uh, on my blog this is a quote from a group called Humans of Late Capitalism. I wrote a piece a couple, uh, about a year and a half about this. This is out of a an interactive design firm's um, very mainstream uh, yearly release. Okay, they did sort of like a yearly wrap, and they were talking to the design industry at, at, at large. And so this group said, 
Now, hear this. Hear the context of this. And here, here, I want you to listen to this. Faith in technology is substituting religious beliefs. Now, not only God can give us immortality or create other realities, quantum physics, virtual reality, <clears throat> or genetic modification can do it too. Transhumanism has a prophetic vision to transcend the species beyond our biological destiny, to abandon forever the darkness of a world out of our control, previously guided by Bibles and legends and protected by saints and shamans. Mm. This is a, I want people to realize this, that's, that's the worldview. That's the worldview, you know, and when we enter into that and we engage with that, whether it's us or whether it's our kids and we're engaging with that, with, with the conduits of that worldview, we need to understand that there is danger there. We, it, we need to understand that there is a trade-off, right? Uh, I was thinking of a a good analogy uh, because as I, as I said before, I don't want people, I don't want Christians. I don't want people who are, who are maybe contrarian thinkers or people who, who, who would listen to your podcast to think that I want to become some kind of neo-Luddite. But at the same time, Jesus changing water into wine, Jesus changing water into wine doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that every, everybody has a responsible relationship with alcohol. You know, we need to understand that there is a, um, there is, is a, co- a, a cost, there is a price to be paid. And that when we engage with these things and when we hand them to our kids in particular, we need to understand that we're introducing them to a worldview that says those things mm-hmm. that says that, that says that your Bible is, is outmoded, mm-hmm. right? That it's, it's part of a sort of an antiquated structure of oppression, Quite literally, yeah, and that and that we as human beings need to use technology and need to use these tools and convenience that's built in technology to as a leverage point for the next stages of human evolution, mm-hmm. and that is that is the world you world you were engaging with it. So so take take that into account when you use these things. Yeah, you know? the one thing that's kind of throughout our conversation today has kind of kept on kept on coming to my mind is this: is that all of us the new atheist all the way to the, um, I, I don't know, uh, fundamentalist Southern Baptist, whatever. Um, so whatever the scale may look like, need a meta narrative to surround our life around, to, to make sense of the world in which we live. And so the thing that I would say, and, and I, I know you well enough to know that I think you would say the same too, is that that meta-narrative has to be sufficient. That overarching narrative by which we define our life and, and live our life by has to be sufficient. It has to be sufficient for the aches and pains of this world. It has to be sufficient for the joy that we are capable of experiencing. It has to be sufficient for truly encapsulating what life is. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've said ultimately is that that won't be a meta narrative or the meta narrative, and I know that we would agree that the meta narrative, that is the biggest meta narrative that 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 carries with it the transcendent values that we that we need in this life, is the Christian framework that provides all that we need as a narrative, uh, for living our life through. Mm-hmm. And we will continue to whether whether that's agreed upon by the people watching that or not. The one thing is this: is that we will continue to experience the aches and pains of meta-narratives that do not work um, if, if we consistently try to find life in things other than the created order that is before us. Mm-hmm. So I, that's one thing that's kind of just, is just, that, just that simple idea is that we just need a sufficient meta-narrative mm-hmm. for our life, mm-hmm. one that really, really works. And in some as, aspect of, of 
that not working is so much of what we see through so throughout social media in our present day and age. So mm-hmm. that being said, um, I, I, I love the work that you have been doing, not only in the deck industry, but also with your writing. So I Thanks. really want to give people the opportunity to kind of check some of that out. So sure. give me, I'll put this down in the notes, but I also want people to hear it. So yeah. give me where people can find uh, some of your blog. All right, writing. great. Yeah, it's uh, it's C, Elliot, E-L-I-O-T-T, Johnston with a T, dot com. Okay, yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. So um, again, I'll put a link to that and even the article that you mentioned down below so that people can check that out. Um, I, I, I encourage just deeper thought and deeper kind of reflection um, about this issue, but more importantly, the narrative. Like, what is that narrative? We're going to all shape one. What, what is it? So mm-hmm. um, thank you for playing a role in helping us do that today um, in such a beautiful way, man. So I appreciate, yeah. uh, I appreciate the words that you shared with us today and your expertise on the subject. Thanks for having me, Reed. It's always fun. Absolutely, man. Well, can't wait to do it again. Thanks for coming. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and unplug for crying out loud. (laughs) Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.